All right, everybody. Uh, once again, thanks for that. Thank. <laughs> it is raining cats and dogs in the city of Chicago, folks. And uh, it is a sign that summer is over. Maybe a day or so, maybe a day or so more of summer, but officially it's over. Yeah, it's raining cats and dogs in the city of Chicago. And I'm hearing that it's very, very wet uh, in North and South Carolina, according to the what the uh, storm uh, Florence dumped on that city, on, the, on those states. Uh, and uh, it is raining here, but I don't think it's anything that of a hurricane. I just think it's just normal rain, I'm assuming. It's blowing, and it's every, I, I guess a lot of people were caught off guard by this. You know, so anyway, it's raining, but it, it feels good. It feels good. And if it's raining, make sure you uh, keep yourself. Uh, this is not like one of those situations where it's singing in the rain. It's one of those kinds of rains that you better be running your ass off or you're going to get soaking wet. So it's raining right now. I'm, I'm looking at this stuff right outside my window. My studio is uh, has this great big window in front uh of me and all that kind of stuff. And I can see outside and people can see inside. They can see me broadcasting the show, but most people are not looking at me right now broadcasting the show because they're trying to get their asses out of the rain because it it is really coming down. And uh, yeah, it's some sort of a rainstorm we're having here because anytime you see rain blowing and shifting around and splashing around, that's not a normal, a normal rain, if I can say it, uh, it's more like a rainstorm, but I don't know how long it's going to last. It could last another uh, minute or it could last another 10 minutes or it could last another three hours. I don't know. It, it remains to be seen. But anyway, it's raining and actually it looks beautiful. So how many people do you know out there that actually enjoy watching it rain? I'm one of those people. I love watching it rain. Some people will say, well, that's boring. That's bullshit. That's not even interesting. You must be crazy. But there is a lot of people, including myself, as I mentioned, uh, have mentioned, uh, enjoy watching it rain. As long as I'm not in it. <laughs> I mean, you're sitting by in your apartment or your studio or, or your home, and, and you it's raining outside. You, you just pull up a chair and just pull back the curtain and just dream watching it rain. It feels, it feels good. I, I, I can recall a couple of actors, movie stars who, after they have, after they made a movie or so, they had head back home to their, you know, uh, country life and uh, sit and watch it rain on the crops. Yeah. So I, I, I really love watching it rain. As long as it, as long as it doesn't get inside, I'm fine. <laughs> All right, the George Wilder Jr. show is on the air watching it rain, and it's beautiful. It is so beautiful watching the people scurrying, trying not to get wet. Uh, some of them are caught off guard, as always. Some guy, I'm looking at some guy running, <laughs> trying to get out of the rain. Uh, but it's beautiful to watch it rain. It's not so beautiful to be caught in the rain, okay? All right, once again, the George Wilder Jr. show is now on the air. Uh, it's 6.07 p.m. straight up Chicago Central Standard Time, WTTTY. I barely, I barely hardly ever call out the call letters to the show. 
And my guest is, oh, we have no guest for today. <laughs> There's nothing on the uh, uh, marquee here. But that doesn't mean you can't call in and talk, okay? It's totally up to you, you know. All right, the George Wilder Jr. Show is still on the air. Hate lies have no home here. Strive to be the best you can and strive to be kind to one another. Be good to one another. Stop fighting each other. The people we have to fight are in the Congress. Let's stop fighting each other and fight for America. You know, stop arguing and bitching and disagreeing and then coming out with a gun and blowing somebody's head off. That's not the way to solve problems, folks. The people in Congress are looking at you and saying, look at them. They're killing each other. That's good. That's great. Be kind to one another. Be nice to one another. I know sometimes that's hard. That, that's hard, especially if you have someone who's around you who is just plain or ridiculous. Someone who you tried to talk to, whom you have tried to talk to several times. And sometimes it just doesn't get through or it can't get through. Or this person or persons will not let it get through. But strive to be nice as you can. But I know some people, you can't do that. Some people will take nice, being nice for, uh, for weakness. And that's so damn true. And some people see that you're nice, you're a kind person, you're, you, you're, you have a heart. There are people out there who will try to take advantage of that. Oh, he's nice. He's kind. Oh, she's, we can uh, probably, you know, control them, you know, and people think like that. They think if you're nice, kind, and gullible, they're going to try to find out some way to control you because you're nice and kind. And they take that nice and kind for being some sort of a weakness. You can be nice. You can be kind. You can have a heart. But beware of those who are out there who are looking for you so they can try to manipulate you and control you just because you're nice and kind. You can be nice and kind. But you can also let people know that you're not going to take any shit. Just because I'm nice and kind and gullible doesn't mean I'm going to take your shit. All righty. Strive to be kind to everyone you meet. But beware of those who uh, uh, will take kindness for weakness. All right. The George Wilder Jr. Show is on the air. I'm looking at Chubby Chase. He's 74 years old. One of my favorite actors. But there is something totally wrong. Before now, he wants to get back into movies, I guess. I guess, but uh, Caddyshack, <laughs> I think he did two Caddyshacks. One in 80, one in 84. The one in 80 is the best one. We have it here, Caddyshack. But I don't know what the hell else he's going to do. Uh, tech Detective movies, he's done a lot of movies. Uh, um, and he is one of the founding fathers of Saturday, Saturday Night Live. Here's some trivia. Uh, Chubby Chase spent only one year at Saturday Night Live. And then I think he quit in order to go make movies. And he was replaced by Bill Murray. And um, yeah, he was replaced by Bill Murray. They're all, I think they're all in their 70s now. you know. But Chubby Chase is saying, hey, I'm ready. I'm ready to come back. I'm ready to make more movies. I'm 74, but I still got it. I remember the I remember the Chubby Chase show. He had a late night show, 
just like uh, Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Fallon and uh, David Letterman, Johnny Carson. He had a show, a night show, similar to that one. And it stunk. It was the most awful thing on television. He seemed as if he couldn't hold up. He was not funny. He was ridiculous. It seemed like he was having a heart attack on stage or a stroke or something. Chubby could not carry his own show on television. So obviously the networks canceled it because of that, because he didn't have what it takes to be a uh, Tonight Show guest someone having his own show but now he wants to get back on uh get back on television get back on to making movies and this is the reason I, this is the reason why i think that uh steve martin and martin lawrence martin chase martin what is it, martin lawrence martin chase martin little martin something anyway the reason why they didn't want him uh back with them because they feel that chubby chase i'm thinking i'm, I'm allegedly thinking this that Chubby didn't have it. He wasn't there. He wasn't quite all there. Because I think uh, uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short finally got it. <laughs> they're doing, they're touring with, or were, were touring with some sort of a show that they're doing together. And a, as you know, if you follow the movies and you follow Chubby's career, you know he was in a movie called The Three Amigos. We've had, we have that here, right? The Three Amigos, and it's Chubby Chase, Martin Short, and Steve uh, Martin. And, uh, you know, the, throughout the 40 years or the 45 years that, it, that uh, it's been made, they've always been a combo, three people, you know, because whenever, they, whenever they're together, they are, whether they're in the movie or not, they're the Three Amigos. <laughs> but uh, somehow Chubby is not... Uh, uh, from my standpoint, I don't think Chubby is uh, ready for it. But he says he's sober, and uh, he's ready to go, and uh, somebody start paying some attention to him again. He's 74. Um, uh, in case Chubby Chase doesn't know, this world is full of young people. Young people are running everything. They're controlling everything. If you're 74 years, if you're 74 years old, um, retire. Have a good retirement. You know, sit back and let the young people do it all because that's what I'm going to do. I mean, when I start to reach my actually golden years, and I'm not too far from those, um, uh, I'm going to sit back and, li- and, and listen to the young people because this is a world of, of young people. This is all about young people. Old goats like, you know, in their 70s and 80s, 60s, 60s, I'll let you pass, but 70s, 80s. Late 70s, 80s. And, I mean, if you still got it, you still got it. Because I, there was a time when I preached on the show, preached, uh, that you can do anything you want to do no matter what age you are. And that's still true because I, I have also, I've also said that uh, there was this woman who was 85 years old and she, she was running a marathon, 85. She didn't have cancer or some deadly disease. She just took care of herself. So just because you're in your, you know, 70s and 80s and 90s doesn't mean you have to have pain. Doesn't mean you can't do the things you done when you were young. Some things you can't do. That's automatic because aging is aging. I mean, things are going to tear down, get broken while you're uh, getting old, but you you don't have to be dilapidated. 
you know, I mean, I've I, I've lived on the north side of Chicago for many, many, many years. And I used to see this guy. I mean, he'd be jogging up and down the street every day. And he was in his 80s, maybe 90s. He was thin, but he was and, and he's still doing it. I still see him sometimes running up and down the, the street or the park or something. He's in his 80s. You know. And uh, he's been doing it for years, years since I've been here. I've seen him. I don't know him personally. I just still see him walking, walking, running, actually jogging by the neighborhood around the corner, you know, up and down the community or whatever in the park over here near the lake. And, uh, and I've always told people, hey, no matter what age you are, you can still live your dreams. You can still dream for this or that. When you stop dreaming, you'll be dead. Dreams are what makes us live. We have to have something to dream in order to conquer that dream and go after that dream. You need that dream first. You have to look up to someone. Yeah, you have to find somebody. You, even if it's a movie star or a writer, uh, author, uh, uh, actor, whatever, uh, your friend, your mother, your father, you have to look up to someone when you're, when you're a kid. You got to have someone you, there's got to be someone there that you, you, you tell yourself, wow, I want to be like that person. Wow. I want to do what he's doing. Oh, I want to do what she's doing. And you work hard at it. You strive at it and, uh, you do it and you just do it, you know? All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. We will be right back. A musical break.
All right, Chubby Chase, 74. As I've talked about at the beginning of the show, Chubby Chase wants to get back to work. He's 74 years old, he's sober, and he's ready to go to work. I can understand that. But the problem is, folks, nobody wants to work with Chubby Chase. Nobody wants, not even Martin Short or Steve Lawrence. Steve Martin, I'm sorry. I think Steve Lawrence is dead on his way or something to that effect. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, Chevy Chase, 74, sober and ready to work. The problem is nobody wants to work with him. I think that's going to be short-lived because this guy, he's an icon. I mean, yes, sometimes his acting can be questionable. His behavior can be questionable. I mean, I remember, as I mentioned, I remember the – Chubby Chase show, it was horrible and they soon took it off because Chubby could not it was something physical or internally uh, wrong with him inside of himself it's and as I was viewing it, I remember he just couldn't hold it I mean he would invite every kind of guest that he knew onto his show and they would be there to try to support him because he just couldn't handle it and they saw it And, you know, eventually uh, it led to the show's cancellation by the networks. So and but now at 74 and I've said this uh, 74, (laughs) maybe he's too old and maybe he's lost a step or two. But uh, I'm pretty sure some movie uh, uh, production might pick him up, some producer, some director, uh, some uh, television show may give him a small part here or there or somewhere, you know, but uh, at least he's now announcing that he is ready to work and you got to give the man credit for that. He is announcing that he is ready to work. Chubby, if you, Chubby, uh, Chubby, I'm sorry, Chubby, if you're ready to work, we will accept you, but we will not take an entire movie with you, with you in the starring role. That's, too much. <laughs> That'll be too much. A, a small part here or there in a movie or in a sitcom, that's great. But a starring role in a big budget movie, no way. Uh, that's not going to work. But anyway, uh, anything goes on, anything goes, and commentary on the George Wilder Jr. show, the Judge Wilder Jr. show is now on the air. We are live, but we will soon be podcasted. Uh, something. I want to say something. Something has my undivided attention. It threw me off when I found out about this, and I've, you know, I, I've actually brushed it off, been brushing it off for a while. Uh, I don't know whether to believe it or not, but when you have so many people, more than one, at least more than one person, saying this or that about you, and they don't know each other, you know, so you you have to kind of take it as truthful as being real i guess what i'm saying well get to the point george uh i guess what i'm saying is that uh i was recently told that i was a great writer um and this is not the first time i've been told that i was a decent writer uh but the first time i've been told that i was a great writer and people are agreeing with that uh some of the stuff that I've got written. I'm not saying this to try to plug my books. I'm not saying this to try to uh, get you to go to Amazon <laughs> and, and buy a book, but it wouldn't be that bad. It wouldn't be so bad. 
But if you want to really kind of verify what these people are saying about calling me a great writer, uh, go to Amazon and dig dig in that stuff for yourself. Uh, uh, Download some download some of that stuff for yourself and find out. Uh, But it, it. it is really a humbling experience when people call you something that you always thought you were not. I'm no Edgar Allan Poe. I think I've said that in one of my stories somewhere. Uh, I'm no Edgar Allan Poe. I wish I, I cannot write like that. I, you know, I, I uh, do the best that I can. I'm only George Wilder Jr. I can only, only write and produce and direct the way I want to do it, do it. I can't do it the way someone else does it. And I never, ever thought uh, I'm no literary writer. I'm, I just sit down and I just do it, you know, short stories, novels, whatever you want, uh, uh, poems, uh, essays and things like that. But I'm no literary writer. I'm nowhere near the writer Edgar Allan Poe. And I th- and I'm a great fan of Edgar Allan Poe. Now, if someone's a great writer, it's Edgar Allan Poe. And I do think that people that I think follows Edgar Allan Poe in the great writing category is probably Robert Ludlum, Vince Flynn. I'm, I'm not going to go as far as to say uh, Danielle Steele or Nora Roberts um, because I do think a lot of that stuff is just uh, what, what do you call it? Uh, <laughs> not garbage. No, no, no. A lot of people love these authors. I think a lot of it is just fluff. You know, it's, they're just uh, throwing down a lot of words uh, 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 to make a book. Um, I've read Daniel Steele. I've read Nora Roberts. I have I have some of their stuff here. I think they're great writers. I I, I think they're good, competent writers. As for great as far as great writers, I don't know. I did say great writers. I'll take that back. As for great writers, I don't know. I'm pretty sure some people who are reading those particular books by these ladies are saying that these ladies are great writers also. You know, I don't think so. I, I think it's a, uh, I think a lot of these 300 and 400 page books is nothing but a lot of material that they've done in the past that they've. Yeah. You know I mean, how many times can you write about the same thing in a different way? They know how to do it. Lisa, what is her name? Lisa Jackson. Oh, I think she's a competent writer. I don't think she's a great writer, you know. But that's not putting her down. I mean, she probably has more sales than I do, <laughs> so uh, I think she's a great writer. I mean, great writers uh, to me, like I said at, at the beginning of this, is Edgar Allan Poe, uh, Robert Ludlum, maybe Vince Flynn, Jackie Collins. I think. Jackie Collins, the late Jackie Collins, I think she stands above them, above them all. Jackie Robinson, Jackie Collins, and I'm about to say Jackie Robinson. Jackie Collins, I mean, she writes the way she writes, just like I do. I write the way I write. You like it, you uh, you don't like it, that's okay. But I write the way I write. She writes the way uh, she writes. Before she passed away, she made no. Um, Apologies about the way she writes, and I love the way she writes because she she gets to the point. She doesn't hold back. You know, a lot of writers hold back on on how they're going to say things, or they try to uh, uh, 
make things sound a, little, a lot better than what they what they are. Uh, Jackie Rob Jackie Jackie Collins did not do that. She told the world. She said, "I'm not a literary writer. You take me as I am." And the world has. I mean, they made her a millionaire, <laughs> not being uh, because she wrote a lot of uh, she wrote romance novels, but they were really really sexual. <laughs> but she added a plot. And a, and a story to these uh, to her books that were eye catching and that made us want to turn each and every page. And I want to say uh, uh, I, I want to say thank you to Jackie Collins for doing that. And one of my favorite writers, another one of my favorite writers, who is now passed away, is C is Sue. I said C Sue Grafton S U E Sue Grafton. Um, she did those alphabet books, Z for this. Now she hasn't gotten to Z yet. She uh, and she will not get to Z because she's gone. She's gone. She's left this earth. I think she's got all. Maybe why? But she did not get to Z, and we will not see Z because she has passed away. And she stated that she didn't want anybody to do Z for her. She said, "Leave it alone." And Sue Grafton always, she's written about 27, 20, maybe 25, 24 books or something like that. And uh, she stated that she did not want Hollywood to bother to mess with her books. She didn't want Hollywood to mess up her books. So that's why you don't see any of her books, uh, at, see any of her books or have heard of any of her books made into movies. Because she did not want that. She felt that Hollywood would just fuck up her movies, fuck up her book. And if you notice something, if a book, if a movie is made from a book, majority of the time, the book is better than the movie. The book is better. And a lot of times, if a book is made from a movie, a lot of times Hollywood is gonna, going to, you know, Hollywoodnize it. <laughs> They're gonna do that. Uh, some a lot, a lot of the Bourne Ultimatum, uh, the uh, the Jason Bourne movie uh, that starred uh, Matt Damon. Now the the book Bourne Ultimatum, it was nowhere near close to what the movie is. The movie is quite different from the book, but yet they have the same name and it, and they have the same name of the author who wrote the book. But the story, the storyline in the movie is totally different from that what's in the book. Oh, in the book and in the movie you'll find some similar names from the book to the movie, but that's about it. But The Born Ultimatum, written by Robert Luglum, is a hell of a lot better than The Born Ultimatum that uh, Matt Damon starred in as Jason Bourne. How did I get this far? <laughs> All right, folks, it is 6.33 p.m. in the city of Chicago. The rain has stopped so far, but that doesn't say it will not start again. And we will do this. Um, yeah, I'm still looking at the Chubby Chase here. 74 years. He looks great. He has, he has on a tuxedo, and he wants to work. 
The man wants a job. The George Wilder Jr. Show is going to help Chubby Chase find work. (laughs) It's millions of people throughout the world are looking for jobs and stuff like that. So, I mean, Chubby Chase saying, hey, I don't want to sit home. I don't want to collect a Social Security check or uh, whatever. I want to get out here and do something. I still got something to I still got something to give. I still got something to prove with my life. Yes, I made a lot of movies. Yes, I made a lot of flops, but I made some good stuff. I made Caddyshack, <laughs> Foul Play, uh, and a lot of other stuff. And he has. Chevy Chase has been in a lot of movies. I think he's made three or four of those vacation movies. And uh, Vacation 1, Vacation 2, 3, 4 or something. But the thing is, he's made a, a, a few of those. The best one, the greatest one, is the one, the first one, Caddyshack. I think uh, Vacation, uh, Las Vegas Vacation, I think that's the worst one of them all. He looks like he, he looks like the person that was on the uh, trying to do a night tonight show or something like that. But anyway, um, uh, he wants he wants a job. He Chubby Chase wants a job, and I'm pretty sure he'll find one. And I <laughs> I wish him all the luck in the world at finding employment. And I wish all the luck in the world of anybody out there looking for a job. It's tough. It's tough. It's not when I think about it. It's not that easy getting a job anymore. It really isn't because now. Remember the times when we could just, if you was looking for a job, all you had to do is walk inside a company or something, walk in the door, fill out an application, sit down, walk inside the company. And majority of the time when you fill out that application, you'll get your interview right there. The the, the hiring manager will be looking at you. You will be looking at them. Uh, uh, they will give you all kinds of, uh, uh, tell you all about the company. You just walk inside the door. But nowadays, it, everything is on computer. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you try going into a company and saying, hey, I want a job. They're going to say, hey, go. We're online. Put your application in online. And when you put in an application online, you, your application or your resume is going to be among three or 4,000. Uh, that's why I think it's – if you're looking for a job online, you have, to, you have to make yourself stand out or you will not get a job. You have to make yourself stand out because you're competing with thousands and thousands of other people who are after the same job. So you have to make yourself stand out. So it's a little bit difficult trying to find a job online, but it can be done. You just have to make yourself stand out. That's it. Uh, It's tougher. It really is tougher uh, because nowadays you have to have an, uh, to fill out an application for just about any company, you got to supply your email address. You, if you have a Facebook account, you got to give them that. Uh, uh, Instagram account. Uh, you have to have good credit to yeah to get a job. You need you you gotta have good credit to get a job. The president of the United States got the worst credit than anybody, and he's and he's president of the United States. But you know nowadays it's tough getting a job. They want to know everything. They want to get inside your life. They want to control you, and you still may not get the job. So it's tough. I mean it's really rough. Uh, trying to get a job, even if you have all kinds of all kinds of experience, is tough. It's tough. And then if you do get the job, if you are lucky enough to get an interview, if you are lucky enough to get an interview, 
it's going to be not just an interview, but it may be three or four interviews for that for a job at that one particular company. It it has happened to me. I mean, uh, I had to talk to about three or four people, you know, before I actually landed that job. It was like a a um, second and third interviews, and fourth. Everybody's got to like you <laughs> before you get that job. Makes you got to make them all like you, <laughs> or you will not get it. So it, it's really tough. But some people are successful with it, and other people are not. So I'm pretty sure Chubby Chase will be successful with it. And um, we wish, once again, we wish him all the luck in the world. this week that the Trump administration currently has 12,800 children, migrant, immigrant children, locked up here in the United States. Now, most of those at the moment 
are actually with their parents in these detention facilities. Only about four to 500 have been separated, but we do know based on reports that the administration is trying to increase the size, triple the size actually, of the child detention facilities so that they can once again begin separating them from their parents. Now the reason that's important is because on Monday of this week, Jeff Sessions met with a group of uh, brand new immigration lawyers and judges where he told them to make sure that they don't have any sympathy for these immigrant children because God forbid that sympathy influence your ruling or your representation of these people. Here's an exact quote of what Jeff, uh, Jeff Sessions said. And there were 44 new immigration judges at this little gathering in Virginia. Um, when we depart from the law and create nebulous legal standards out of a sense of sympathy for the personal circumstances of a respondent in our immigration courts, we do violence to the rule of law and constitutional fabric that bind this great nation. Your job is to apply the law, even in tough cases. Now, to an extent, Sessions is right. Judges are not supposed to let their personal feelings interfere with their rulings there. But at the same time, we kind of have to in this instance, because what the administration is doing to these people is illegal. So you can have sympathy for somebody who's had their most basic civil rights violated by an administration that is stamping all over the Constitution, all over previous court rulings, and all over uh, settlements that have been made by the federal government saying we're not going to do these things. You can have sympathy for those people. You can be a human being. You don't have to be a racist piece of trash like Jeff Sessions and act like they're somehow less than human. But that's what we're getting from this administration right now, especially from Jeff Sessions. He took away amnesty, which it was legal, legal for these people to come into the country seeking amnesty. He took it away and turned them into criminals. That's how a lot of these people got separated. That's why they're facing these harsh immigration courts right now from judges who, according to Sessions, shouldn't have any sympathy Jeff Sessions created this mess. Yeah, it was going on before him to an extent, but he came along and made it so much worse into the human rights disaster that we're now seeing on our southern border. That lies at the feet of Jeff Sessions. And for him to come out and tell these people to not show any sympathy is absolutely deplorable. Hillary Clinton was right, 100% right, about her basket of deplorable comments except that it's not just the voters who put him in office, it's also the people that Trump appointed to run his government. Jeff Sessions. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. You
start uh, right there. We'll begin with that stunning revelation yeah. from President Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, last night telling Fox News that Trump reimbursed his fixer, Michael Cohen, for that $130,000 hush money payment to porn star Stormy Daniels, despite President Trump's assertion last month that he was unaware of it. Having something to do with paying some Stormy Daniels woman 130000 I mean, which is going to turn out to be perfectly legal. That money was not campaign money. Sorry, I'm giving you a fact now that you don't know. It's not campaign money. No campaign finance violation. So they funneled it through the law firm. Funneled through the law firm, and the president repaid it. Oh, I didn't know that he did. Yeah. There's no campaign finance law. Zero. So the president... Just like every... Sean... So this decision Sean, was made by... Everybody, everybody was nervous about this from the very beginning. I wasn't. I knew how much money Donald Trump put into that campaign. I said, 130000 He's going to do a couple of checks for 130000 So, But do you know the president didn't know about this? Uh, I believe that's I, what He didn't Michael know about said. the specifics of it, as far as I know. But he did know about the general arrangement that Michael would take care of things like this. Like I take care of things like this for my clients. I don't burden them with every single thing that comes along. Uh, these are busy people. Mm. Uh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Those, are some, those are some kind of clients you got there, Mr. Mayor. Now, let me, let me, let me go to what Rudy Giuliani said. Too, it's, it's remarkable that he kept saying... There was no campaign money involved here. Well, the problem is that if it's not campaign money involved here, if it's just Michael Cohen writing a $130,000 check not related to the campaign, that's what we've all been talking about. And I'm not sure where Rudy Giuliani's been over the past several months. But those are called in-kind contributions, contributions that aren't written to Donald Trump for president. But those are contributions that benefit the president, that don't go into the campaign, that the FEC and the federal government will look at and they'll say, well, listen, that, that was an in-kind contribution. You could not give him that dinner for 5,000 of his closest friends and not report that because Anything that benefits the campaign becomes a campaign contribution, whether it's, quote, campaign money or not. Mika, I, I don't know what's more disturbing, Rudy Giuliani not knowing that or saying it to Sean Hannity, who acted like they had both just seen the Ark of the Covenant at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. They're about three months behind this story. It's, uh, it was... Staggering. Um, we keep saying that, but this is a new one. Uh, the Washington Post's Bob Costa spoke to Giuliani after his Fox interview. Costa tweeted, Giuliani tells me he just spoke with POTUS tonight by phone. President very pleased. Giuliani says they discussed his revelation of the reimbursements long in advance, does not expect to be fired, <laughs> insists his remarks on Fox News were approved by Trump. According to the oh Post, boy. yeah, Giuliani. That's not good. It's not. No, that's just not good. 
Do they not know? I mean, okay. According to the Post, Giuliani, quote, does not know when the president learned of the nature of the payment Cohen had made to Daniels to keep her quiet about an affair with President Trump. Let's remember. Giuliani said the president didn't learn many of the details about the settlement until the past two weeks in the wake of an FBI raid on Cohen's office and residence. Stormy Daniels' lawyer, Michael Avenatti, said he's, quote, rendered speechless by Giuliani's revelation. Uh, He will join us on set at the top of the next hour, so he'll be on in an hour, and uh, hopefully he'll get his speech back. Joe. Yeah, um, boy, Willie Geist, you know, there's that moment in the view where he said, let me tell you something that you don't know. Yeah. Well, apparently none of those guys know anything. Like Rudy Giuliani, was Rudy Giuliani just going on there shooting from the hip? Because what he said actually could make the present situation even worse. Yeah, I mean, there's no question about it. When the campaign finance piece is what Rudy Giuliani thought he was going on that mm. show to take care of, to say it wasn't Michael Cohen, it was in fact the president. By the way, let's go back to the beginning of this. The president of the United States has denied that he even had an affair with Stormy Daniels. So that now raises the question of then why did you pay her $130,000 to keep her quiet a few weeks before the election? But Jeremy Bash, you've been looking at this interview last night and saying, well, if they think they cleared the decks on campaign finance, they might be wrong on that count, but they also might have opened themselves up to something else here. What did you see? Yeah, Willie, uh, a couple things. First of all, what uh, Giuliani told uh, Bob Costa and then I think to the New York Times as well is that the payments extended far beyond the $130,000 right. reimbursement for Stormy Daniels. of their mothers. How dare you lie and say you couldn't do anything about it. You're the one who caused it and you're the one that we're going to make to turn it back because what you're doing now is lying, lying, lying. The American people have put up with this president long enough. What more do we need to see? What more lies do we need to hear? It is time for us to say, even though there are those who don't want us to say it, Mr. President, you need to be impeached.
for coming out here because history is not going to be kind to this administration. But we want history to record that we stood up, that we took back, that we fought, that we did not consider ourselves victims of this president. History will record that while he tried to step on all of us, we kicked him in his rear and we stepped on him. And so the president who lies all the time, who will change on the drop of a dime, the president is watching what is going on, and the only reason he came up with this fake initiative of his is to try and say to the people that he's seen come out in huge numbers, okay, 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 uh, I'm sorry, I'm scared, I'm going to back it up, but he didn't back it up enough. He didn't back it up enough because that initiative that he put out does not define how they're going to connect these children with their parents. They don't know where our children are. They don't have numbers or identifications where they can connect parents. And some parents have been deported and their children are still here somewhere. That's unconscionable. And between this president and that racist attorney general, Jeff Sessions, and John Kelly, they all said that they were going to do this. They said publicly that they were going to separate these children from their parents in an issue that they have tried to use to get that wall built so they can intimidate all of us. But again, the message has to be, Mr. President, we're not afraid of you. We're not afraid of Jeff Sessions. We're not afraid of John Kelly. We're not afraid of your administration. And while you think you have gotten away with everything that you have done, we are going to show you that you haven't gotten away with anything. We want the children back. We want them connected to their parents. We want it done now. We're going to insist on it. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. You have members of your cabinet uh, that are being booed out of restaurants. Who have protesters taking up at their house. Who sang no Ken Ferguson to discuss this. And Errol, first to you, I want to talk about the president's reaction to Ken Frazier. Ken Frazier quit the president's manufacturing council. Ken Frazier's a man who's been to the president's side many times when this group has been meeting. Ken Frazier quit. And what did the president do about it? He went after him. Uh, the president wrote, now that Ken Frazier of Merck Farmer has resigned from President's Manufacturing Council, we have more time to lower rip-off drug prices. And again, if you're keeping score at home, that's one mention of Ken Frazier in the last 48 hours, zero mention of white supremacy. Right. This is the Trump style. Um, you get in his face, he'll hit you back, as he says. He's a counterpuncher. He's immediate. He throws everything at you and so forth and so on. Um, you know, if, if we ever heard that about, say, Vladimir Putin, that would be, that would be interesting. If we ever heard anything like that? about any of the, the foul racists uh, committed murder and disruption over the weekend, that would be a great thing, too. But that's not who we have as president. You know, and the, the, the question has become, I think, for a lot of people, and this is why I think the Merck CEO resigned and why you see uh, religious leaders like uh, Charles Blake, the, uh, the, the leader of the Churches of God in Christ, big statement for an entire religious denomination over the weekend. People are sort of going back to their core principles. They're speaking from a place of conscience. They're trying to do what, Many people thought they, the president might do or should do, 
But this is an act, a, a time of conscience, a time of choosing for everyone. And people are choosing to do what they have seen the president fail to do. It's interesting. You said if you get in the president's face, he will respond. What if you get in America's face? You know, what if you get in freedom's face? I think that's what people are asking. Will he respond to that directly by name? Anna Navarro, look, full disclosure, you are an extreme critic of President Trump and have been for a long, long time. Nevertheless, this is what you wrote this weekend. I've been embarrassed about having Trump as president many times, but no time worse than today. I'm beyond embarrassed. I'm ashamed. Why do you feel this was the worst of the worst? Now, he was so embarrassing when he was a candidate, right? And there were so many things he did which just made you cringe, just made you indignant. I was embarrassed when he shoved the national leader at the G20. I was embarrassed when he wouldn't shake Angela Merkel's hand. But this, now, he's six-plus months into the president. There are times when the president of the United States needs to step up and be the unifier-in-chief, be the consoler-in-chief, be the healer-in-chief. This was such a moment for him, and he blew it to such a level in order to pander to members of his base who he did not want to antagonize. At a moment when the country so badly needed to hear from the President of the United States about healing and unity and condemning white supremacy and condemning racism and condemning neo-Nazis, he was a coward. He didn't have the spine to behave like the leader of the United States, and I feel that to be shameful. And I'm glad Republicans are calling him out on it. I'm glad elected leaders in the Republican Party are finally Finally, stopping to and uh, stopping looking the other way and confronting no, the fact haven't. that he's not only unfit <laughs> no, to be president. In not. my book, his lack of empathy, his lack of leadership, his lack of courage, he's unfit to be human. Well, okay. Let, let, let's talk about him as the president of the United States, though, for, for, for a second, Anna, right now. He, we are told the White House says that he will address this later today. What could he say, Anna, that will correct this in your mind? Nothing. It's been three days since the march. It's been two days since Heather Heyer died, was murdered by a white supremacist. It's been days since all sorts of spiritual governments, elected Republicans, Americans have been asking him and calling on him to say something and have the, the spine to call out white supremacy. And it's going to take how many focus groups? It's going to take how many days? It's going to take how many pressure points? Look, he had a, a, an opportunity. He's had two days. He's had more than two days to address it, and he has failed to do so. To do so now under duress because of public perception, because of public pressure, thank you, buddy. I, don't, I really don't need it. I think it's the spiritual leaders. I think it's the governors. I think it's the other elected leaders. I think it's U.S. citizens. I think it's regular people that need to step up. And we need to be the ones that unify and heal ourselves yeah, right because the president people, of the United States yeah. is a shameful nincompoop, incapable of doing it on his own. Okay. First of all, the president of the United States is arriving at Joint Beta Andrews right now. You're looking at live pictures of his arrival. Ben Ferguson, you know, I want to give you a response. Joining me now is John McLaughlin, former acting director of the CIA. Benjamin Wittes is a Brookings Institution fellow and the editor of Lawfare. Heidi Press was a national political reporter, reporter with NBC News, and Susan Del Percio is a Republican strategist. I want to start with John. Uh, you know, I'm not sure Trump cares where he shoots. He's shooting. If anybody gets in his way, he goes with whatever the hat weapon he can find in his holster. He wants to arrest Amorosa. 
He wants his FBI, his, his attorney general to just go out and arrest her. Suing her isn't enough, but he does know he's allowed to yank security clearances. So that's his first weapon of choice. Yeah, and in this case, I don't think he looks strong and determined, as he says. I think he looks thoughtless and looks a little bit like a mad king. Uh, I've seen this movie before, and it's never in a democracy. This is what you see when uh, a tyrant chooses to use power that they exclusively hold to punish people who've spoken out against them. And frankly, he's been very transparent about this. There's not much artifice in his response. He basically says, the guy's uh, erratic. Uh, yeah, well, you're following your lines. I've often thought that uh, demagoguery is not a good long-term career move. Hmm. Uh, the only one I know who got a long-term career out of it was Franco. Hmm. The rest of them all died hideously. Your thoughts, Ben? Yeah, so I, the other problem with this is it's not going to work because you can revoke the security clearances unilaterally of people who are out of government and who aren't actively using them anyway. But the problem with revoking security clearances as a strategy for dealing with your political problems is that most of the people who have them actually need them to do jobs that they're doing in the yeah. service of you. And so, you know, what are you going to do? You're talking about governing. I'm not, well, I'm talking then about... Trump's not interested in what you're know, talking you about. Run a governing CIA. the country. If you want to run a CIA, you've got to have some people with security clearances. Yeah, you're long-term in your thinking. <laughs> so I'm look. serious. Heidi, I just think he reaches for the reachable weapon. The one that apparently he is, what they're reporting now is that he loves any power he can get. Chris, I think there are moments when we need to remind people that Trump's presidency is in itself a grand experiment in the American experience. Never had a president without uh, public service experience, never had a president without government experience, military experience, and actually never had a president with no accountability, even within, as a businessman, he was a sole proprietor. He, didn't ha he wasn't accountable to a board or to shareholders. We just thought that he would learn and respect the norms that have been established throughout the history of this country. And here's why people are, you talk about Franco and other dictators, here's why we're having that discussion. People compared his, some of his moves to Nixon, having an enemies list. This is why we're moving from Nixonian to people saying creeping authoritarianism because Nixon at least knew enough to be embarrassed of his enemies I list. Agree. Like John said, they were his enemies, he's, not he's, the state. He's proud of it. This guy said these are enemies of the strong. people. Yeah. He says they're enemies of the people. Susan, here's a thought. Um, I think Trump is back on his heels for the first time in his presidency. I think he's acting in reaction. I think everything he's doing now with Brennan is reacting against Amorosa. And more Amorosa's got a lot more ammo than he's ever thought of. This is a person who he has created in terms of tactics. She's got more, ta apparently we'll get through in the next segment. She's got emails, she's got all kinds of documentation, video film, uh, tape, she's got everything. She's got, well, we're gonna get to a lot of this stuff, but she's got a, a hell of an arsenal. And I think he's reacting. I think Brennan paid the price for Amorosa's uh, assault. We just found out today, for example, that Michael Cohen began his payoff to Stormy Daniels, Stephanie Clifford, paying her off because of the Access Hollywood tapes. Tapes scare Trump because it's not fake news. It's real. It's existent. Your thoughts? You know this guy. Uh, well, first, I agree with you 100%. Donald Trump is back on his heels, and he's like a, like a cornered animal who will just keep striking out. And especially when it comes to Amorosa, because he knows what she's capable of. And I do think that now that we hear about more tapes, 
that is, or videos, especially emails. videos, emails, everything, that has got to concern him. But also, let's not forget, whenever he goes after, whether it's Karen McDougal, Stormy Daniels, or even Amarosa, um, his, his bite is, his bark is way worse than his bite. None of these non-disclosure agreements have held up. Yeah. And that's also something he's very much aware of. But I agree, he, he went after Brennan, and once again, Chris, this man, who is weak and petty, not surprisingly, put himself before country because that's what he's doing when he's looking to revoke these security uh, clearances. It is all about himself and nothing to do with the security of this country. Well, he occasionally, in fact, more often for his own good or too often for his own good, he admits such. Trump has admitted he took action against Brennan because of the Russia probe. But as I mentioned, there also appears to be an ulterior motive in making the announcement this week. As the Washington Post has reported, Trump made his decision weeks ago about Brennan. However, senior advisors, including Sarah Sanders, recommended to the president they announced their action Wednesday amid an onslaught of news coverage from former Trump aide Omarosa Manigault Newman's new book. Uh, John, I know you're concerned about your institution, the, F the CIA, and the government of the United States. This president is primarily concerned about covering his butt. Yeah, you know, and that, he'll use anything. I think that's why you see the signatures of all of these people on these letters. Yeah. It's because all of them, particularly the directors and deputy directors, have had governing responsibility. They've had responsibility for granting these clearances, yeah. for sometimes adjudicating them, for revoking them on occasion. And they've had to do that under the law, they've had to do it fairly, they've had to do it with integrity, and they know that it affects, the, uh, it affects the security of the United States. It's never been done in my memory for any political reason. Right. In fact, do it for that reason and you're going to end up in court. Now, the president has the authority to do it. I don't think he should, because this is all, uh, all of this is governed by um, uh, executive order. This is right. legislation. So this is an area that he can seize upon Although I think it will rebound on him. Hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. Thanks for watching MSNBC on YouTube. If you want to keep up to date with the videos, YouTube. Some people are really fucking stupid. <laughs> Did you ever notice that? How many really stupid people you run into during the day? God damn, there's a lot of stupid bastards walking around. Carry a little pad and pencil with you. You wind up with 30 or 40 names by the end of the day. Look at it this way. Think of how stupid the average person is, and then realize half of them are Some people are really fucking stupid. <laughs> Did you ever notice that? How many really stupid people you run into during the day? God damn, there's a lot of stupid bastards walking around. Carry a little pad and pencil with you. You wind up with 30 or 40 names by the end of the day. Look at it this way. Think of how stupid the average person is, and then realize half of them are stupider than that. <laughs> and it doesn't take you very long to spot one of them, does it? Take you about eight seconds. You'll be listening to some guy. You say, this guy is fucking stupid. You can say what you want about this country, and I love this place. I love the freedoms we used to have. I love it. I love that. Uh -huh. 
I love it when it didn't take a fucking catastrophe to get us to care for one another. I love the fact that we're on camera all the time from all angles. But you know what? You can say what you want about America. And I say I love this place. I wouldn't have it any other way. wouldn't live in any other time in history in any other place. But say what you want about America. Land of the free, home of the brave. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. Dumbass motherfuckers. You know? These people. These people are efficient, professional, compulsive consumers. It's their civic duty, consumption. It's the new national pastime. Fuck baseball. It's consumption. The only true, lasting American value that's left, buying things. Buying things. People spending money they don't have on things they don't need. Money they don't have on things they don't need. So they can max out their credit cards and spend the rest of their lives paying 18% interest on something that costs 12.50. And they didn't like it when they got it home anyway. Not too bright, folks. Not too fucking bright. But if you talk to one of them about this, if you isolate one of them, you sit them down rationally, and you talk to them about the low IQs and the dumb behavior and the bad decisions, right away they start talking about education. That's the big answer to everything. Education. They say, we need more money for education. We need more, more, more books, more teachers, more classrooms, more schools. Uh, we need more testing for the kids. You say to them, well, you know, we've tried all of that, and the kids still can't pass the test. You say, oh, don't you worry about that. We're going to lower the passing grades. That's what they do in a lot of these schools now. They lower the passing grades so more kids can pass. More kids pass. The school looks good. Everybody's happy. The IQ of the country slips another two or three points. And pretty soon, all you'll need to get into college is a fucking pencil. <laughs> Got a pencil? Get the fuck in there. It's physics. <laughs> then everyone wonders why 17 other countries graduate more scientists than we do. Hey, living in a coast-to-coast -coast shopping mall? Well, they think it's just fucking dandy. They think it is cool as can be, because Americans love the mall. They love the mall. That's where they get to satisfy their two most prominent addictions at the same time, shopping and eating. Millions of semi-conscious Americans, day after day, shuffling through the malls, shopping and eating, especially eating. Americans love to eat. They are, they are fatally attracted to the slow death of fast food. Folks, living in this country, you're bound to know that... Every time you're exposed to advertising, you realize once again that America's leading industry, America's most profitable business, is still the manufacture, packaging, distribution, and marketing of bullshit. High quality, grade A, prime cut, pure American bullshit. And the sad part is, is that most people seem to have been indoctrinated to believe that bullshit only comes from certain places certain sources advertising politics salesmen not true bullshit is everywhere bullshit is rampant parents are full of shit teachers are full of shit clergymen are full of shit and law enforcement people are full of shit this entire country this entire country is completely full of shit and always has been from the declaration of independence to the constitution to the star-spangled banner it's still nothing more than one big steaming pile of red white and blue all-american bullshit because think of how we started think of that this country was founded by a group of slave owners who told us all men are created equal oh yeah all men except for indians and niggers and women right always like to use that authentic american language this was a small group of unelected white male landholding slave owners who also suggested their class be the only one allowed to vote. Now that is what's known as being stunningly and embarrassingly full. Perhaps you've noticed we no longer have old people in this country. They're all gone now, replaced by senior citizens. 
Somehow we wound up with millions of these unfortunate creatures known as golden agers or mature adults. These are cold, lifeless, antiseptic terms, typically American, all ways of sidestepping the fear of aging. And it's not difficult to understand the fear of aging. It's natural and it's universal. No one wants to get old. No one wants to die. But we do. We die. And we don't like that. So we shade the truth. I started doing it when I reached my 40s. I'd look in the mirror at that time and think, well, I guess I'm getting older. That sounded a little better than old. Sounded like it might even last a bit longer. But people forget that older is comparative, and they use it as an absolute. She's an older woman. Oh, really? Older than what? Than she used to be? Well, yeah. So? People think getting old is bad because they think being old is bad. But you know something? Being old is just fine. In fact, it can be terrific. And anyway, it's one of those things you don't get to choose. It's not optional. But that insufferable group among us known as baby boomers, ages 42 through 59 as of 2005, are beginning to get old, and they're having trouble dealing with that. Remember, these baby boomers are the ones who gave us this soft, politically correct language in the first place. So rather than admit they're getting old, the baby boomers have come up with a new term to describe themselves as they approach the grave. They don't care for middle-aged, so instead, get this, folks, instead, they claim to be pre-elderly. Don't you love that? Pre-elderly. It's a real word. You don't hear it a lot, but it's out there. The boomers claim that if you're between 50 and 65, you're pre-elderly. But I'd be willing to bet that in 2011, when they begin turning 65, they will not be calling themselves elderly. I have a hunch they'll come up with some new way of avoiding reality. And I have a suggestion for them. They should call themselves the pre-dead. It's a perfect term because for them, it's accurate and it's highly descriptive. By the way, those ever clever boomers have also come up with a word to describe the jobs they feel are most suitable for retired people who wish to keep working. They call these jobs elder-friendly. Isn't that sad? God, that's just really, really sad. And so, to sum it up, we have these senior citizens. And whether I like that phrase or not, unfortunately, I got used to it. And I no longer react too violently when I hear it. But there is still one description for old people that I'll never accept. That's when I hear someone describe an old guy as being, for instance, 80 years young. Even though I know it's tongue-in-cheek, it makes my skin crawl. It's overly cute and precious, and it's an evasion. It's junk language. On CBS's 60 Minutes, Leslie Stahl, God help her, actually referred to some old man as being a 90-something. Please, Leslie, I need a small personal break here. One last pathetic example in this category. On the radio, I heard Matt Drudge actually refer to people of age. And he wasn't being sarcastic. He said the West Nile virus is a particular threat to people of age. Poor Matt. Apparently, he's more fucked up than he seems. 
Now, going to an adjacent subject, one unfortunate fact of life for many of these 80 or 90-somethings is that they're forced to live in places where they'd rather not be. Old people's homes. So what name should we use for these places where we hide our old people? When I was a little boy, there was a building in my neighborhood called the Home for the Aged. It had a copper sign on the gate. Home for the Aged. It always looked deserted. I never saw anyone go in. Naturally, I never saw anyone come out either. Later, I noticed people started calling those places nursing homes and rest homes. Apparently, it was decided that some of these old people needed nurses, while others just needed a little rest. What you hear them called now is retirement homes or long-term care facilities. There's another one of those truly bloodless terms, long-term care facilities. But actually, it makes sense to give it a name like that, because if you do, you make it a lot easier for the person you're putting in there to acquiesce and cooperate with you. I remember old people used to tell their families, Whatever you do, don't put me in a home. Please, don't put me in a home. But it's hard to imagine one of them saying, Whatever you do, don't put me in a long-term care facility. So calling it that is really a trick. Come on, Grandpa, it's not a home. It's a long-term care facility. By the way, while we're on this subject of the language of getting old, I want to tell you something that happened to me in New York on a recent evening. I was standing in line at the Carnegie Deli to pay my check, and there was a guy ahead of me who looked like he was in his 60s. He gave the cashier a $10 bill, but apparently it wasn't enough. When the cashier mentioned it to him in a nice way, he said, oh, I'm sorry, I guess I had a senior moment. And I thought how sad that was. To blame a simple mistake on the fact that you're in your 60s, even if you're just sort of joking. As if anyone would think a 20-year-old couldn't make the same mistake. I only mention this because it's an example of how people can brainwash themselves by adopting popular language. I wanted to pull them aside and say, listen, I just heard you refer to yourself as a senior, and I wanted to ask, were you by any chance a junior last year? Because if you weren't a junior last year, then you're not a senior this year. I wanted to say it, but I figured, why would he listen to me? After all, I'm still a freshman. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was the great late George Carlin. All right, according to new reports, America taxpayers have now spent a grand total of $77 million just for the President Trump, just for President Donald Trump to go on golfing while in office. That's a damn shame. We spent $77 million as taxpayers for this guy to go golfing. The numbers are absolutely insane. The numbers are absolutely crazy. And we're also paying for his damn rallies where he gets to go there and disparage uh, Maxine Waters, disparage African-American people, disparage Muslims, disparage children. We're paying for that. We're paying for him to espouse hatred. Donald Trump needs to go. There's no doubt about it. He needs to go. So everybody out there at the sound of my voice, vote blue. Even if you voted Republicans, stop voting Republicans. They mean you no fucking good. And if you 
continue to vote Republican. If you want to revote Republican, turn off this show because this show is not about that. But if you tell if you tell yourself that you've had enough of Donald Trump, you've had enough of Jeff Sessions, Jeff Sessions, you've had enough of this Congress, and you want to make a change, vote blue. You could be independent. You know, get these scoundrels out because if you don't get them out, America, we're going to uh, go down the sewer, and the Republicans are going to take us there. Old white senile rich men. It's going to ruin this country. They're going to upend the uh, uh, rule of law, judges, uh, due process. Trump doesn't like that. He doesn't like judges telling him what he can do and what he can't do. He doesn't like that. Jeff Sessions doesn't like that. They're both racist. Racist, and you should know that. If you support these people, it makes you racist. If you support Donald Trump, it makes you a racist. If you support Donald Trump, it makes you a bigot. If you support Donald Trump, it makes you a bully. If you support Donald Trump, it makes you a con man, a liar, a sexual assaulter, implicated in two federal crimes that Congress Republicans will not investigate, will not have hearings on. People, uh, 49% of the American people want hearings. 49%. It should be bigger than that, much more than that. But that's a hell of a lot. They want to see this guy impeached. Are the Republicans going to do what the American people want? The people who given them their jobs? The people who they work for? Absolutely not. They're getting ready to seat an alleged sexual uh, mis- a sexual uh, mis- what would you call it? A sexual predator? Okay, I didn't want to say predator. You can see it. You can see that. A, an alleged sexual predator in Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. When Donald Trump is the biggest sexual predator ever, and this guy is sitting his ass in the White House. What? It's something wrong with that. And if you think about Bill Cosby, Bill Cosby, they went back 35 years uh, to convict him of sexual assault. And the Republicans are bitching about uh, the Democrats wanting to go back uh, uh, 30 or uh, 15 or 20 years or 30 because Kavanaugh was in high school to investigate him. See, what, what this is, it's one, it's, it's, it's one way for the Republicans and it's another way for everybody else. Which is wrong. This is why we have to get out it's about, I'm hearing 50 days, 59 days, 50-something days or something left uh, before the midterms uh, at the uh, recording of this show. Folks, get out there and vote. Vote in droves. Not, I mean, we don't want to just win. We don't want to just uh, win everything. We want, which we do, we want to win everything. But what we want to do, we want to vote in droves. I mean, we got to get millions and not, yeah, thousands and thousands and leading into millions of people to the polls in every area of of the United States on November 6th. Uh, And early voting, do early voting. If you can do early voting a week, do it. Uh, If you can do uh, mail-in ballots, do it. Because, they, uh, because your local governments are going to tell you when you can do early voting. Your local government is going to tell you when you can mail in your ballots. Maybe do some voting online. But vote. Vote. 
Show these son of a bitches, show these rotten ass Republicans. And I'm not a racist, but all of these fuckers are white. Okay? It's white people who are fucking up the country. And I'm not a racist and I'm not speaking in a racial manner, but I'm just being uh, truthful. It's old white rich men in Congress that are fucking want to fuck up America and lying to the public about it every day. We have to do something. We have to get out here and vote, vote, vote. I'm going to be touting this on the George Wilder Jr. show every day until up to uh, November 6th. We have to send a message to the Republicans. We have to send a message that this America is our America. The United States is our United States, not theirs. We hire them to represent us to, to make our lives better. We don't hire these fuckers to go out there and make our lives a lot worse. Do we? Would you hire somebody to make your business work a lot slower than what it is? Would you hire somebody to uh, circumvent every protection that you have in your business? No. The American people don't do that either. We don't go out and put somebody in office to wreck our lives. We don't go out and put somebody in office to make us miserable. We don't go out and put somebody in office that's going to lie to us, con us, make us and talk to us and preach to us and give speeches as if we are little children. They're the smart ones and we're the dumb ones. We don't put people in office for that. We put them in office to represent us. They know who they know who their bosses are. Their boss is not Donald Trump. The the congressman uh, and the senators in Washington. Your boss is not Donald Trump. Your boss is the American people who put your ass in there, gave you your big salary, gave you your greatest health care, where you went in there and you you got bought off. NRA, other lobbyist money. But I'm hearing now that a lot of these Republicans who are running for office, they can't get the donors to send them any money no more because the donors have turned their backs on these clowns, these, these corrupt fucks. The donors, their main donors, there's a lot of donors, Republican donors saying we're not giving them any more money because they're crooks and, they're, and, and we don't like Donald Trump, so we're not giving them any more money. I mean, you got conservative, uh, uh, one-time conservative talk show host George Will. He was a staunch Republican. He said, hell no. Richard Tanner, he said, no, they're leaving the Republican Party. And there's other lesser-known Republicans who are leaving the Republican Party. They said they can't stand Donald Trump. So that should tell them something. If, they're not, if they can't receive money uh, 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 to put up commercials and road signs saying that they're running for election, they're done. They need money. And the donors said, hell no, you fuckers are crooked. You're trying to turn this country into a uh, country for a dictator. We don't want that. We don't want that. So, folks, get out there and vote. We even got some Republicans who were once Republicans going to vote against Donald Trump. Even Republicans are telling Democrats to vote against Donald Trump. There is no doubt about it, folks, that we are in – Danger of losing America if we don't get out there and vote. We cannot have something like we did uh, in 2016 where we thought everybody in the world thought Hillary Clinton was going to be president of the United States. Nobody in their right mind thought that this jackass was wind up in office. 
think something like this couldn't happen, can't happen uh, during the midterms? It can. But even if people do try to hack the elections for 2018, there will be too many fucking people out here voting to, for that to even uh, bear any kind of effect. And I'm pretty sure there's uh, a lot of agencies, uh, U- U- U.S. agencies who are actually up on uh, uh, these people trying to hack into our elections, 2018 elections, because the Republicans and Donald Trump, they will not uh, advocate any funding to protect our upcoming elections. So they all, they're all in for our elections to be hacked. They want our elections to be hacked. But even if the elections are hacked, and if enough people vote in the thousands, in the millions, the hacking will not matter. It will not matter if enough of us get out there. And in Pennsylvania, it's a bitch. These fucking Republicans are gerrymandering all over the place, cheating, shaping their district so they can win, cheating. That's the only way they can get in there. Well, even there was one Republican who in Pennsylvania said that uh, it wasn't fair that black people, uh, it wasn't fair that they would not win. And some of them are, are saying, yeah, we, we're gerrymandering because uh, we need to win. And I'll say the same thing for gerrymandering. If enough people get out there and vote, gerrymandering ain't going to be shit. But even a lot of the courts have struck down gerrymandering. But still, the Republicans who think they're above the law, they're saying, fuck it, we're going to gerrymander anyway. So the point is, folks, get out there and vote in every every um, corner of the United States, in every corner of America. Vote, vote, vote. We got to get these assholes out. Take our country back. Our country belongs to us. Republicans think it belongs to them. All of these white guys, no women, they're just white old guys trying to tell a woman what she can do with her body. We have to get these fuckers out. They have to go. So on November 6th, make sure you get your friend, your mother, your mom, your uncle, your brother, your nephew, your niece, anybody over 18 and over, get them to the polls. If they're not registered, help them get registered. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio, and I'm talking about voting, folks. I'm talking about getting out there. The George Wilder Jr. Show is on your side. Uh, and if you want to try and support this show, you can because uh, it, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough, but I love it. And I love doing what I'm doing, and, uh, and, and I want you to be uh, ready to do what you have to do, and that is to get people to the polls and vote. Vote in droves. And um, I want to say thanks to everybody who was listening to the show. Thanks to everybody who's going to podcast the show and listen later. Uh, I want you to have a great weekend, a great evening, a great morning. Whenever you find yourself listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show, you have a great one. Also, have a great weekend if that's uh, the time that you find yourself listening listening to the show. And I want to say goodbye, everybody, and make sure you join me tomorrow and every other day of the week. If if you can't get me live, there's always – a podcast you can listen to 
and they're just as good because I know because I produced them. All right, everybody, have a good one. Take care. I hope you join me tomorrow. Hatred from the mighty and the mighty from the small.